you. Good to see you here back for the service tonight. Let's take our Bibles, please. We're going to turn over to begin Jeremiah chapter 23. Let me read a few prayer requests while you turn there. Jeremiah 23. Boy, it's a blessing to have one follow the Lord in baptism today. Praise God for Nicole taking that stand for the Lord. And I'm thankful for the bus workers that worked hard to uh, get the gospel to her and for uh, someone working with her, giving, getting her here to church as well, and just praise God for that. Uh, let me mention these prayer requests. You pray for Miss Alice, uh, still battling some sickness. Brother Hyde also, many, uh, many appointments coming up this week for his health. Pray for Brother Hyde. Pray for Aaron and Brandy. They're very sick. Lift them to the Lord if you would. And then Miss Addie's asking prayer for her aunt, uh, Candy Johnson's grown daughter, Nikki. She's seeing a thoracic surgeon in Birmingham, Alabama tomorrow. And uh, Candy helps a lot with checking on uh, Miss Addie's mom, our, our granny, Emma Ruth Jackson. So pray for Nikki and pray for uh, Granny. Pray for uh, Miss Jackson. Uh, lift them to the Lord if you would. All right, tonight I'm going to preach a message I preached a year and a half ago, but sometimes these topics pop up. And uh, so I have to hit them again. And uh, so when I, I hear this topic, um, usually it's more than once, and the Lord stirs something in my heart uh, that I, I need to preach this message. Jeremiah 23. Uh, the title of the message is this, and I want us to put it on YouTube just this way. Uh, of course, we put on there the, the date and all that, but put it on here this way, Schofield versus Scripture. Schofield versus scripture for some of you you say who what in the world is this who's Schofield why does it matter for some of you this is settled uh, this might be this might be things that you've uh, studied before for some of you, you have no idea what I'm talking about yet and that's okay uh, but this is a very important topic it is very important and it's not just about Schofield it's about our approach to the Bible it's about our approach to the Word of God versus what some man has said um, you could put any name before, in the beginning, the title. So Schofield versus Scripture, you could put uh, your favorite preacher versus Scripture. You could put what your grandpa always taught you versus Scripture. You could put what you always thought versus Scripture. It doesn't matter. The point is this, that the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. Every man. Say, well, I remember brother and so-and-so and there, there are truths of the scripture. I'll preach sometime and someone will come to me and say, you know what, I just, I don't like that because that's not how I was raised. People say things like that. They'll say, I don't like that because that's not what I cut my teeth on when I first got saved. Okay, well, it really doesn't matter what we like or what we cut our teeth on. What matters is what does God's word say? That's what matters. And so I, what I'm saying tonight is there are some people who have a love for the Schofield, that's what this book is here. I appreciate Brother Jeff giving me this. Um, the Schofield Reference Bible. They have a love for the Schofield Reference Bible almost as if Schofield were one of the apostles or almost as if Schofield's words were the equivalent of Jesus Christ's words. Tonight what I want us to see is this. That, that name was mentioned this last week and someone even today uh, speaking to me was asking and saying something they liked about the Schofield Reference Bible, someone I was speaking to on the phone today. And the fact is this, that I, I do not, you'll never, you will never hear me speak favorably of the Schofield Reference Bible. Never. Say, why is that? I'm about to show you tonight. 
you will never hear me speak favorably about it. Say, but I know the sword of the Lord sells Schofield reference Bibles. I know, and they ought to take them off their website. Yes, the sword of the Lord ought to take the Schofield reference Bible off their website. Say, well, my favorite preacher for years, I remember the assistant pastor coming up and saying, turn in your Schofield reference Bible to page number 1021, and everybody would turn there. My favorite preacher and his assistant pastor would read that. So I have good memories of the Schofield reference Bible. What I'm telling you again is you'll never hear me speak favorably of it, and you'll hear why tonight. My dad, uh, I've told you before, I'm grateful my mom's here, thankful she's here in Kentucky now. My dad told me over and over and over. He'd say, Tim, he'd say, a lot of preachers have a ton of books, and I do have a lot of books. He'd say, a lot of preachers have a lot of books, but they neglect to read the book, the book, the Word of God. He said, you don't need all those other books. What you need is the book, the Bible. He's right. If we're not careful, we'll have, we'll have an affinity to, a, a liking for things that are not biblical at all. Simply because one of our favorite preachers or something that we have a fond memory of from the past have taught or preached something. In Jeremiah 23, I want you to notice verse 25, the Lord says, I have heard what the prophets said that prophesy lies in my name. I'm going to tell you tonight, this this is the Schofield Reference Bible. This is full of lies. I, I'm not going to bat an eye. I'm going to say it again. This is full of lies. It's full of lies. I, I understand errors. You know, we all make mistakes. I agree with that. But I'm going to show you five, and this is just scratching the surface of how many lies are in the notes of the Schofield Reference Bible. I, I still to this day do not understand preachers who know what these notes say and still recommend the Schofield Reference Bible. I don't know what's wrong with their mind. I really don't. I, I don't know how you could tell somebody, hey, these are the truths you should be following, but hey, go read this guy's notes. Makes no sense to me. Verse 25, he says, I have heard what the prophets said that prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. And he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord? Say, if you have my word, speak my word. That's the wheat. Everything else is the chaff. Let God be true and every man a liar. Notice what he says next. Uh, verse 29, Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that use their tongues and say, he saith. Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, and do tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their lightness. Yet I sent them not, nor commanded them. 
Therefore they shall not profit this people at all, saith the Lord. And when this people or the prophet or a priest shall ask thee, saying, What is the burden of the Lord? In other words, what's the word God's put on you? What's the burden of his word he's given you to give to us? Thou shalt then say unto them, What burden? I will even forsake you, saith the Lord. And as for the prophet and the priest and the people that shall say, The burden of the Lord, as saying, This is what God has said. That's what he's saying. I will even punish that man and his house. Thus shall ye say every one to his neighbor and every one to his brother, What hath the Lord answered and what hath the Lord spoken? And the burden of the Lord shall ye mention no more, for every man's word shall be his burden. What's he saying? He's saying every man standing up saying what he thinks and claiming it's what God has said. Every man has his own opinions, his own ideas. He's standing up preaching them as if they're authority. There are notes in this book that are taught as if they're the authority and they're not the authority. I don't care whose name it is on here. I don't care if I wrote my own notes in the Bible. Look, let Tim DeVries, let God be true and Tim DeVries a liar. Let God be true and C.I. Schofield a liar. Fill in the blank. Let God be true and every man a liar. Verse 36, he says, And the burden of the Lord shall ye mention no more, for every man's word shall be his burden, for ye have perverted the words of the living God, of the Lord of hosts our God. I, I truly am not upset at folks who don't know better. I'm really not. I, I understand that many of us have come from a background where a, a preacher stood up with a Schofield Bible and maybe didn't preach the notes and preach the word of God. I understand that. But I'm saying this, it's time for us to grow up in our knowledge it's time for us to understand that this book is tainted and it's poison. The notes in this book are poison. Heavenly Father, please speak to our hearts tonight. Help us to show clearly the truth, your scripture versus these notes. And Lord, I pray that the notes of this reference Bible will end up in the dustbin of history. That we'll no longer lean on these notes, but we'll look to your word and believe your word or what any man has said. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. John Nelson Darby and the Plymouth Brethren, they had a significant influence upon a man named Clarence Larkin. I haven't said much about Clarence Larkin, but he illustrated his own charts of prophecy. And because he had beautiful pictures and illustrations, many people just assumed he was right and they followed his teachings. And John Nelson Darby and the Plymouth Brethren had a significant influence on C.I. Schofield who put out the Schofield Reference Bible in 1909. Say, so why does that matter? It matters because we've heard even this week folks adhering to the Schofield Reference Bible. Again, many of them don't have any idea what the notes say. But I want, us to, I want it to be to the point where we say, you know what, I'm never going to get a Schofield Reference Bible again. I'm never going to give anybody a Schofield Reference Bible. We need to get rid of the Schofield Reference Bible, period. C.I. Schofield's Reference Bible, printed in 1909, it was promoted in Southern Baptist seminaries. Where did independent Baptists come from? We came from the Southern Baptists. If you didn't know that, that's part of our history. We did. Uh, we, we are right now what Southern Baptists used to be. We are. Uh, we stand for the things the Southern Baptist Church used to stand for. I say used to because it's changed. 
The independents, in fact, many of the independents got kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention because they wanted to adhere to Scripture. And they took a, st a strong stand against worldliness and against liberalism and, and against the critics of the Bible. And so I am independent by choice. Our church is an independent Baptist church by choice. And I've said that before. Uh, but the Schofield Reference Bible, we came, our, our independent Baptist churches came out of Southern Baptist churches. And this Bible, this reference Bible, was promoted in the Southern Baptist seminaries. So you had preachers coming to the Southern Baptist seminaries to learn to go out into the ministry, and they were handed a Schofield Reference Bible. And so then they'd take the Schofield Reference Bible, and when they'd preach, when they'd teach, they, the notes of the Schofield Reference Bible would heavily influence their preaching. So what's the problem? The problem is that many people are more committed to Schofield's notes to Schofield's theories and to Larkin's charts than they are to what Scripture actually says. I say again, say I, I've, had, I've heard preachers stand up and go, I love old-time religion. Well, be careful what you mean. I love the Word of God. It's timeless. I, if by old-time religion you mean I love the feel of shouting when somebody gets saved, yeah, I'm with you. I do too. Well, I love when somebody follows the Lord in baptism. Oh, I love when the Word of God's preached and when the choir sings. If that's what you mean, I'm with you. But if we're going to be specific about it, we better be careful about religion because religion in the Bible mentioned most of the time is in a bad sense. It's man-made man is what it is. I'm saying this, I want us to examine tonight, if somebody can show you from the Bible something disagrees with what you believe, will you yield to what the Bible says or will you just adhere to your old feelings and thoughts? I want you to turn to a few passages here. Let's go to what we're going to do tonight. I'm going to ask you to turn to several passages. I'm going to read these verses. I want you to see these verses. And then I'm going to read Schofield's notes. Again, you say, what's the big deal? If you've never heard of this, you, you, may, you may wonder why I'm even spending the time on it. I'm, I'm telling you, you just have to believe me, that this Bible, this reference Bible, has had a huge influence on independent fundamental Baptist churches. That's why I'm preaching on it tonight, because it's dangerous. If you have one, you need to get rid of it. I'm keeping mine because I need it for preaching. I need it for my notes. Um, but if you have one, I'll, I'll give you another one. I have some that don't have all the corruption in it. Okay? I have plenty of King James Bibles I can give you. But I want you to turn Genesis chapter 1, verse 5. And I just want you to read plainly what the Bible says. Here we're talking about the creation of God. And we're going to read a few verses together. And I'm going to turn to the reference notes in the Schofield Bible and read his notes that have been so influential. Um, let's read Genesis 1, verse 5. In fact, just read it together with me. Ready? Begin. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. So you have an evening and you have a morning, and that equals one day. One day. Now, what did God really mean by day? Now, so you've got to have a whole bunch of degrees and letters after your name to be able to write some of the stuff written in these notes. Can I tell you something? Do you have to have a degree to understand the Word of God? 
you do not. What you do have to do is be committed to study it, studying it, reading it. Um, but God, look, God made his word simple so we can understand it, so we can live by it. Uh, look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. You see, uh, these notes affect doctrine. They sow discord. They create, they create doubt. Uh, I'm going to read the note in just a minute. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, and read it with me. Ready? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Okay, how many days did it take for God to create the heaven and the earth? How many? Six. What did he say? Six days. Well, what do you mean by days? He meant day. That's what he meant. Morning and evening. Um, look at Exodus 31. Exodus 31, look at verse 17. Exodus 31, verse number 17. The Lord is speaking of the Sabbath, that it's a sign between him and the children of Israel. By the way, Christian, our Sabbath, our rest is in Jesus Christ. Well, that's another message for another night from Hebrews. But notice uh, Exodus 31, verse 17. It says, it is a sign, the Sabbath is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in, what are the next two words? Six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Now, if you just read your Bible what would you think? You would think the truth. You would think God created the earth and the heavens and everything in six literal days and he rested the seventh day. Amen? Amen. But if you pull out your Schofield Reference Bible and you read from his notes, page four, he says, the use of evening and morning may be held to limit day to the solar day, but the frequent parabolic use of natural phenomena may warrant the conclusion that each creative day, in quotation marks, was a period of time marked off by a beginning and ending. Say, so what in the world does that mean? Let me explain what it means. It's what's called the gap theory. People say, well, look, his notes, Schofield's notes are right. Yeah, this day wasn't really 24 hours. It was a great period of time. In fact, some people say it was millions of years. There were six periods of millions of years. Say, so why do they do that? I'll tell you why they do that. So they can marry evolution and creation. And you cannot marry evolution and creation. Say, well, God created the earth, but then he sent it off spinning into space for millions of years, and things evolved, and there was these six periods of time. It wasn't really a day. That's what he's saying. He's saying these, it's a parabolic use. It's a parable. It has a deeper meaning, that word day, morning and evening, and that's where that false teaching of the gap theory comes in that says that it was millions and millions of years. That's in Schofield's Bible. Now, again, uh, you know, if that was all that was in there, I'd still say get rid of your Schofield Bible because that taints the truth. Uh, I want you to go now, go to Hosea chapter 1, verse 10. So the gap theory comes from Schofield's Bible. Zionism comes from the Schofield reference Bible. Say, what in the world does that mean? For some of you, you're getting nervous right now. You're scared. Is you, think I'm, you think I'm against the modern-day nation of Israel. Can I tell you, I'm not against them. I want them to be saved like I want every other nation to be saved. Amen. But I'm going to say it very plainly. The modern-day nation of Israel is not the people of God. I said it. 
For some of you, this sounds like heresy because you've been listening to John Hagee and all the other guys on TV. You've been wearing your Israel Star of David pin and you've been flying your Israel flag and you thought, you thought those people are the people of God. Hold on. I'm just going to reason with you for a minute. What makes you the people of God? No, no, I'm not going to tell you anything that's not Scripture here tonight. You test it and prove. See if what I'm saying is right or not. What makes you the people of God? Is it living in a certain geographical region? Does that make you the people of God? There's a modern-day nation of Israel. Are they, the, are they the people of God because the name of their nation is Israel? They live in a certain area where people of God have lived before. Are they the people of God because of ge geographic region in which they live? Are they? They're not. Did you know that about 20% of the modern-day nation of Israel is Muslim? Did you know that? Are they the people of God? Are they the people of God? They're not the people of God. Okay, well then what is, what is it that makes you the people of God? Is it a certain religion? The Jewish religion, boy, it's, it's close to what we believe. Actually, it's first, don't, don't miss this because I'm telling you the truth here. This is going to shock some of you. But it's actually closer to the truth. Islam is actually closer to the truth than Judaism. How in the world is that true? I'm going to tell you how it's true. We, we took our family. It's become a family tradition the last two or three years. We'll go one evening to the Kentucky State Fair. We'll go walk around the booths and uh, eat too much, you know, corn and elephant ears and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, pay $5 for a lemonade or whatever it is. I mean, it's crazy. Um, but it's become a family tradition, a mini vacation. We'll go there in an evening. In the booths, there, was, there, was, there were uh, Muslims giving out Qurans. And on their banner, it said, in so many words, I didn't write it down, but it was something like this. Islam honors Jesus too. Hold on, did you know that's true? Now, now they, don't, they don't believe he is who he is. He's the son of God. He's God in the flesh. But they do say Jesus was a good prophet. They do say you should listen to Jesus. What does Judaism say? I'll tell you what Judaism says. Judaism says Jesus is burning in hell. You didn't know that, did you? It's true. Actually, I'm, I'm cleaning up what they say about how he's burning in hell. That's what Judaism believes. Say, but they've got God the Father. What does the Bible say? It says, if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. We worship the same God. No, we don't. No, we don't. So, does living in a certain geographic region make you the people of God? No, it doesn't. Having a certain religion... Not the truth, but you know, it's kind of close. Oh, no, it's not. Say, but they believe the Old Testament. No, they don't. Jesus said, if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for Moses wrote of me. That's what Jesus said. Say, you don't believe Moses. If you believed him, you'd believe me. That's what Jesus said. So living in a certain geographic region doesn't make you the people of God. Um, following a certain religion that's not the truth does not make you the people of God. Go read Revelation. Those who say they are Jews and are not, they're of the synagogue of Satan. Who are those? Those who follow Judaism. Amen. So are you mad at them? No, I want them all saved. I want them saved. Don't you dare walk out of here saying he's against the Jews. No, I'm not. I'm not against them anymore. I'm against the Muslims or the Christian churches that are teaching people to be baptized to go to heaven. I want them all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what I want.
Okay, what about your bloodline? Does having a certain DNA and a certain amount of blood make you the people of God? It does not. We're all of one blood. And I could take verse after verse and prove all those things to you. But the point is this. Much of the teaching and belief of Zionism, that the modern-day nation of Israel, they're the people of God, comes from the teachings in Schofield's reference Bible. I want to show you one, one you've heard. I, I, I promise you you've heard probably both of these. Look at Hosea. Uh, did I tell you to turn there already? Hosea 1.10. Would you go ahead and read that? I'm not there yet. Go ahead and turn. Somebody just read it together. Hosea 1.10. All right, let's try again. Here we go. Okay. Now I know how Brother Matt feels in choir. Okay. <laughs> Ready? All begin. Okay. Hosea 1.10 says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. That's an awesome verse. Man, it's so awesome. Now let me read the notes. Schofield has written under this verse. He says, My people is an expression used in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament exclusively of Israel, the nation. My people, he said, is an expression used in the Old Testament exclusively of Israel, the nation. He's talking about the physical nation of Israel. Is that true? What's true? Is what Schofield wrote, is that true? It is not true. Go to Isaiah 19. Isaiah 19. Well, when I read this, I wanted to shout. It's awesome. Isaiah 19. Notice verses 23 through 25. And when we studied Isaiah, we looked at these passages in detail. In fact, just, just for sake of time, skip to verse 25, it says, Whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt. What are the next two words? My people. Hold on. What are you talking about? I thought Israel was the people of God. The physical nation of Israel. I thought Egypt's a picture of the world. Why does it say Egypt, my people? And if you read in context, he's talking about Israel and Assyria and Egypt. I'll tell you why. Because the Israel that's the people of God are believers of all physical nations. All physical nations. So, no, I thought it's those who live in a certain geographical region. No. Well, those who have a certain DNA. No. Well, those of the Jewish religion. Absolutely not. Isn't Nancy Pelosi Jewish? A Jewish religion? Is she the people of God? It's okay. You don't have to be afraid to answer. I'm pretty sure she's not. Okay. Okay. It's okay. You know, here, here's the point. I mean, don't just swallow things because hundreds or thousands of preachers repeat it. I want to show you what the Bible says. And man, if you're, if you're a child of God, you ought to shout over this. Look at Matthew chapter 8. I turn to several places here. Matthew 8. Because again, for some of you, this might be brand new. You might think, man, this guy's in heresy. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm telling you the truth from the Word of God. Amen. Look at Matthew chapter 8. Notice verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. He's speaking of the physical nation. He's talking about the centurion that asked Jesus to come and heal his servant. You remember that story? 
He asked Jesus to come heal his servant. Jesus goes on the way to heal his servant. Another servant comes back and says, Hey, my master, don't, don't trouble yourself. Don't come under my roof. Look, just you say the word and I know it will happen. Jesus said, Wow. I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. And then listen to what he says next. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Can you imagine that? You're a, you're a physical Jew. You're listening to Jesus tell you you're going to be cast out in outer darkness. And there's going to be people coming from all over the world sitting down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. How is that possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. Because Jesus Christ is the Savior for the world. And you only come to God through Jesus Christ. And you are the people of God by believing on Jesus Christ. Look at Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Schofield said, my people's used exclusively of Israel, the physical nation. We just saw he called Egypt the people of God. Did you know there are believers from Egypt? There are believers from every physical nation. Now look at what the Bible says, Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. Romans 2, 28. The Bible says, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of God. Uh, go further. Go to look at Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Romans 9 through 11 need to be read together in context. They do. Look at Romans 9. Chapter 6, the Bible says, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. Now don't miss this. What does this mean? For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. What in the world does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. Just because they're of a physical nation does not mean they're the Israel of God. Some of them are because they've believed on Jesus Christ. But so are some people from around the world. As Paul called us in Galatians, the Israel of God. Look at verse 7. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall they seed be called. So for some, this is flying in the face of what you've always believed. I'm showing you plain scripture, and you're going, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 but my favorite preacher said this. I'm telling you, look at scripture. I don't care if it's Schofield or Dr. So-and-so or Brother So-and-so. I'm telling you, look at scripture. Verse 8. That is... They which are the children of, of the flesh, you can't get any more plain than this. These are not the children of God. Wow, is that plain? But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. I have the promise that was given to Abraham. I've believed on Jesus Christ. I am a child of God by faith. Look at Romans chapter 9 verse 24. Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also, don't miss this. Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, verse 25. He's going to quote the verse we just read from Hosea 1.10. The one where Schofield said, My people's an expression used in the Old Testament exclusively for Israel, the nation. Go read the rest of your Bible. 
As he saith, verse 25, also in O.C., that's Hosea, I will call them my people which were not my people. You should rejoice, child of God. It's not a certain physical nation that makes you the people of God. It's belief on the Lord Jesus Christ. I will call them my people which were not my people and her beloved which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Praise God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 6. And here's the question that comes. Well, if, how could so many preachers for so many years have it wrong? I'm going to tell you how they could have it wrong. Because a very influential study Bible was handed to them in Bible college. And they were told to observe the notes, and they were taught to believe notes over what God's Word says. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. Who is that? Somebody tell me. Who's that chief cornerstone? That's Jesus Christ. Elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. Notice they stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Praise God. Praise God. So who's right, Schofield or Scripture? Scripture's right. I need to spend time on this one. I really do. Let's go here. Uh, I want you to see, go to, go to Matthew 17, 21. In fact, let me get a little help so we can move a little bit faster with this. Who would be willing, uh, let me have a, a man willing to read Matthew 17, 21. Brother Matt, would you do that? Uh, let me have, uh, uh, let's see, Titus, will you read uh, Matthew 23, 14? Will you read that? Okay. And then everybody else turn to Mark 16. Mark 16, verses 9 through 20. And before you read those, I want to read the notes at the beginning of the Schofield Bible. Page 3 and 4 of the introduction. Page 3 and 4, 1909, he writes this, After mature reflection... It was determined to use the authorized version. That's the King James Bible, the authorized version. None of the many revisions have commended themselves to the people at large. What does that mean? What he means is the newest, more modern Bibles, they're, they're not as popular. So we stuck with the King James. The revised version, which has now been before the public for 27 years, gives no indication of becoming in any general sense the people's Bible of the English-speaking world. Now, we're going to get into some of the weeds, but this is important. It's important to understand. Why, why do we believe the King James Bible and only the King James Bible here? Why? I'm going to tell you, here's the root issue without getting into the depths of it. Literally, it's a different book. 
It's literally a different book than all the modern so-called versions of the Bible. They come from completely different manuscripts. They're different books. Say they read the same. No, they don't. No, they don't. I've told you this before. When my dad, someone came to him and said, uh, a relative came to him and said, what do you think about these crazy King James only people? And we always read the King James Bible. That was just our habit. As I told you, my dad literally taught me to read from the King James Bible. And we just read it out of habit. He said, well, I don't know. And he went and bought a comparative study Bible, which is in my office to this day. And he took out colored pencils and he started in Genesis. And he read verse by verse by verse, one in each of those four. King James, New King James, Amplified, and NIV, I believe, are the four. Maybe, it was, maybe NASV, one of the four anyway. He went verse by verse by verse. He got through, I think it was 2 Kings, he closed that book. He said, these don't read the same. You know why they don't read the same? Because they're not the same book. They come from completely different sources. And what Schofield is saying, he, listen to what he says, the discovery of the Sinaitic manuscript, that's one of the manuscripts that the newer so-called versions are based upon. The discovery of the Sinaitic manuscript and the labors in the field of textual criticism. You better be careful you hear those words. What that means are people who want to cut holes in your Bible. People who want to destroy the truth of God's word. Textual criticism of such scholars as Griesbach, Lachman, Tischendorf, Trigelli's, Weiner, Alford, and if you know anything about the history of this topic, and Westcott and Hort. Westcott and Hort were two Wicked men who came up with the, the root, the, the Greek manuscript from which the modern so-called translations have come. Westcott and Hort were wicked men who had totally anti-biblical beliefs. And here's Schofield touting their work as if they're wonderful gentlemen. He said, they've cleared the Greek textus receptus, that's what the New Testament, the King James Bible came from, of minor inaccuracies while confirming in a remarkable degree the general accuracy of the authorized version of that text. Here's the point. C.I. Schofield doesn't believe you have the perfect, inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God in your hands. He simply said, I chose the King James because it's the most popular. I chose the authorized version because it's popular. Now, read, who has Matthew 17, 21? Brother Matt, read that please. Matthew 17, 21. Could you read it one more time, please? 1721. This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. This note right here says the two best manuscripts. He's talking about Sinaiticus and Vaticanus. Vatican. He's talking about two manuscripts that sat there for years because they'd been rejected. You know, if you, you read a book and you read it and read it and read it, what happens to that book? It, it wears out. If you never read it, it just sits there. These two manuscripts on which modern translations came from, he calls them the two best manuscripts. And listen to what he says. The two best manuscripts omit verse 21. What Brother Matt just read doesn't belong in your Bible according to Schofield and according to the modern translations. By the way, 
the modern translations, because this has been brought to people's attention, will sometimes put these verses in there, but then they'll put a little cliff note. They'll put a little something at the bottom that says, this isn't in every manuscript. Uh, Matthew, who, who has the next one? Matthew 23, 14. Titus, please read that loud. Does that verse believe does that verse belong there? Schofield's notes say the best manuscripts omit verse 14. Doesn't belong there. Oh, it belongs there. Schofield's notes don't belong in the pulpit anymore. Schofield's notes don't belong in the Sunday school classes anymore. They don't belong in your library anymore, on your bookcase anymore. Unless you're a preacher and got to read his notes. Go to Mark 16. Everybody else is there, I believe, right? Mark 16, verses 9 through 20. 16, 9 through 20. In fact, just, just for sake of context, I mean, this is an awesome, awesome passage of Scripture. This is when Jesus rises from the dead. It's amazing. Notice verse 8. They went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. The end. So, no, that's not the end. No, it's not the end. There's a whole lot more of God's word there. Amen? Amen. But Schofield's notes and your modern so-called translations, if they give a nod and put those verses there, they might put a little note that says these really don't belong in there. His notes say, the passage from verse 9 to the end is not found in the two most ancient, best, according to him, manuscripts. That's Vaticanus Sinaiticus. The manuscripts that the modern so-called translations of the Bible came from, say verses 9 through the end, shouldn't be there. Heresy. Heresy. I mean, what kind of ending is that anyway? We're amazed, neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Folks, let's go home. Let's not say anything to anybody. Let's be afraid. We're following Jesus. Go home, be afraid. Just be quiet. Don't say a word. Foolishness. Go to Acts chapter 8. It's no wonder. I'm just, I promise you, I'm just scratching the surface. We're not going to go through the rest of the notes I have here. How about this lie? Uh, the, the physical nation of Israel never received all their land. That's a lie. That's a lie. Say, so where do you find that in Schofield's notes? What does God's word say? God's word said they got all their land. That's what God's word says. God's word says they lived in all their land. God's word says they failed because they didn't drive out the inhabitants. They liked their money, so they kept their money coming in, and then they started intermarrying with the inhabitants, and then they lost their land long term. But they had all their land. The Jews still haven't returned to their land. They haven't had all their land yet. How many of you ever heard that? Where did it come from? The Schofield notes did not come from the Bible. Oh, there are multiple gospels. There's the everlasting gospel, the gospel of the grace of God, the gospel Paul preached. Many different gospels. No, folks, there's one gospel. 
the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by the way, people have only been saved one way for eternity, by grace, through faith, and they'll only be, be saved one way in the future, by grace, through faith. So where do you get the idea that they might be saved through sacrifices sometime? Well, they're in, it's in Schofield's notes. I don't have time to read it to you. I promise you it's there. I can show it to you after church if you want to see it. But look at this one. You know, this morning, uh, someone followed the Lord in believer's baptism. Praise God. But is it any wonder there's confusion about baptism when you have notes like this? Go to Acts chapter 8. Look at verse 35. So, so far, uh, Schofield has called the manuscripts that the modern so-called translations have come from, he calls them the best, the oldest, now, they're only old because the parchment, because the, the document itself was never used. It was rejected. It doesn't mean it's the best. And now, he's going to call it the best authority. But listen, verse 35, you know the story. Philip's preaching Jesus, the Ethiopian eunuch. He, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading Isaiah 53. The Spirit says, go join thyself to this chariot. Philip runs. He gets up in the chariot says, Understandest thou what thou readest? He says, How can I except some man should guide me? He's reading Isaiah 53, and he explains to him, This is about Jesus. Verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth, began the same scripture, and preached unto him Jesus. Isn't that what we do when we go soul winning? We preach Jesus. You know, Sunday morning, we're not preaching ourselves. We're preaching Jesus. Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Is there anything that would hinder me from being baptized? You know, if somebody came on, and this happens because of the confusion over baptism, because of the way baptism is presented in many churches, there are folks who will come to church, and they'll say, Pastor, I, I just want to get baptized. I'm sure Brother Hyatt knows what I'm talking about. I just want to get baptized. Like, well, hold on a minute. Let, let's talk about that. Um, why do you want to be baptized? Well, I want, want to wash my sins away. I want, want to be right with God. I, I, want to, I want to be saved. Well, that's not how you get saved. That's not how you become saved, by being water baptized. Water baptism is a picture of salvation. You can be water baptized and not be saved. It's like a wedding ring. It's a symbol. You can put a wedding ring on somebody who's not married. It does not make them married. And you can take a wedding ring off someone who is married. It doesn't mean they're not married. It's a symbol, an important symbol, an outward picture that you're married. Baptism is an important symbol. It's an outward picture that you're saved. That you've believed on Jesus Christ as your Savior. But there is something that hinders you from getting baptized. And that is if you have not believed on Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not ready to be baptized. Because it's believer's baptism. So he asked Philip, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, verse 37, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Mr. Schofield, what do you think about verse 37? If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Well, according to his notes, the best authorities 
omit verse 37. I hope you'll make a beeline for your bookcase at home and throw out your Schofield Reference Bible. Let God be true and every man a liar. I, I, we don't have time. We, this could be a study for days. The corruption in the notes in this study Bible. So why do preachers still use it? Good question. Ask them. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I can surmise why, but the point is this. Whether it's Schofield or anybody else, take God's word. Take God's word over any man's word. I don't care how many degrees they have. I don't care how popular they are. Let God be true, every man a liar. Let's bow our heads together, please. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. What's your commitment to Scripture? What's your commitment to the Word of God? If, do you believe what you believe just because you heard somebody say it? Just because it's habit or just because you like it? Or do you believe what you believe because it's in the Bible? It's Scripture. It's God's Word. We need to examine what we believe according to Scripture. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Is there anyone tonight that say, Pastor, I'm not even saved. Please pray for me. I'm concerned about my soul. Please pray for me. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're thankful that you are the people of God, if you're thankful you're the Israel of God because you've believed on Jesus Christ, you're thankful that you're that holy nation, you weren't the people of God, but now you are through faith in Jesus Christ. If you're thankful for that, would you lift your hand? Would you just thank Him? Thank the Lord Jesus for saving you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Bless it to our hearts, Lord. May we examine everything we believe by Scripture. Lord, may we realize that what you say is always true. Let God be true, every man a liar. Bless us, Lord, as we go our separate ways here in a few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen.